This is Hitting the Mark, conversations with founders and investors about the intersection of brand clarity and startup success, with your host, brand strategist and author, Fabian Garhalter. Starting the company, knowing branding and getting deep into it and focus on it has been critical to the success of our company. That was Chunia Osha, who founded Brassy Bites. Since our last episode, we know it takes no culinary background to create a food product that sells like hotcakes, or in Chunia's case, like hot cheese bread. I had such a great time hearing her story from being a civic engineer to running her brand with her husband, killing it on Shark Tank, making Inc.'s fastest-growing private companies list in the U.S. for the past two years, spending three grueling years on the road selling and testing their product, to today where they are in 8,000 stores. And you will soon know why, as you will be able to witness her drive, her contagious energy, and learn from Tunia's vast branding and positioning knowledge. Not only if you're in food and beverage or branding or if you want to take the leap into entrepreneurship from your cushiony job. No, even if you are just a consumer. This is a fascinating conversation. Welcome to the show, Junia. Thank you. So happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for being here. I I want to start us off with a big question that also tells us a bit of your journey. What did branding mean to you when you were back in Brazil or even while working nine to five as an engineer in Portland, basically in your past life? (laughs) And what does it mean to you now that you brought a product to market successfully? Well, before I started Brazzy Bites, I would say I never paid attention to branding. I was a receiver, right? Mm -hmm. I was a consumer. I was a purchaser. And branding was impacting my life, but I never noticed it. You know, it, it was it was seamless as I was, you know, impacted by, you know, my shopping patterns. Um, but everything changed once I decided to launch my own company and um, and understand um, how would people like choose to buy my products and and really started to learn. So I would say I didn't know much about branding. I was just you know a regular consumer shopper because I will say when it you know, before I started Brazil Bytes, I was an engineer. Um, mm-hmm. And in construction, you really don't get into branding. It's not a very creative field. Um, um, it's, you know, very hard work and, and intense and important, but not very creative. And so, but I started the company knowing branding and getting deep into it and focus on it has been critical to the success of our company. And what does it mean to you now when you think about when when you think about your 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 brand? Uh, you know the the word branding. I mean, a lot of people think about the logo and they think about packaging. But you know, to, to you, what what does it mean today? Looking at your company, you no, know, I, I I would say you know, in a simplified way, the foundation of the brand is the logo, is your site and your packaging, your promotional materials. But the branding is to me is is more than that. It's the promise to our consumers. You know, the, our branding is it tells what it tells the consumers what they can expect from us, what they can expect from our products, and it differentiates us from our competitors in the marketplace. Absolutely. Absolutely. And going back to what you just said, you, you know, you talked about being having been an engineer, right? That was your that was your traditional, you know, original path. Um, so 
you know, everyone wants to be an engineer today. Um, <laughs> you, you've been one and then you wanted to create cheese bread. <laughs> um, <laughs> can, can you think of any ways, um, because I'm just so intrigued by that, can you think of any ways that being an engineer helped you on this totally different path? So many ways. So many ways. I will say, I'll share with you for just a couple of seconds why I became an engineer and how I got here. Because I think it's important for, you know, to understand the path and the decisions that I made. But, you know, when you grow up in Brazil and a lot of emerging markets in, you know, in Latin America, it's not unusual for you to your upbringing, especially in my time, you know, in the 80s and 90s, that your family will look at you and say, pretty much give you three options. You're going to become a lawyer, a doctor or an engineer. Totally. I swear, right? You probably yeah. know Same in Austria. This. It was the same thing, right? There, there are three universities you can go to. <laughs> you know, which do you want? That's it. <laughs> it's like, which do you want? And in my mind, I was always like really driven and, and wanting to do some creative things. And But engineer was that path because um, lo I wasn't going to be a lawyer and doctor wasn't for me. So I, I became an engineer. So fast forward, I go to college, I graduate, I get a job and then I start working on it. And then for almost 10 years, I worked as an engineer here in Portland, Oregon. And so started my you know, sort of my career and my, my development as a professional in that field. Then I go ahead and leave that, that you know, that, that um, career and start a cheese bread company. So <laughs> how, how that translated and helped me. So when you think about like being an engineer, it's all about problem solving. It's all about starting something and finishing and working through massive obstacles. That's what an engineer does, you know? And as part of my career there, it was very much also focused on project management and, and problem solving. Mm. So now you go, let's start a food company. Let's try to break through the noise of the marketplace to create a brand, to create a product that resonates. All of that problem solving skills, all of that sort of like start and ending and completing tasks in a very you know, like organized way that was effective and led to the next thing and the next thing just totally resonates. It makes, you know, it helped me a ton. You, and you engineered the best cheese bread north of Brazil. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess, I guess it yeah. was the Actually, would, would Brassi Bites stand a chance in Brazil where there is a sea of competitors? Would you ever go there with your brand? I, I don't I don't have any intentions of going there. And I'll tell you, <laughs> I'll tell you why. Um, you know, the cheese bread in Brazil uh, and in several countries in South America is treated like a commodity. It is so spread, and there's yeah. so many manufacturers, and the quality has gone down over the years. But then because of that, new artisanal companies have spun up. You know, so it's such a dynamic market. It's so mm. competitive and saturated. And I, you know, I just, that's not a field that I want to play. I, um, I love what we created here in the United States with this product line. And there's plenty of business in North America for us. So, so no Europe I, either, I, huh? We, you know, we, we talk about going to Europe and, and, and that's not a no forever. Um, we just, there are some manufacturing challenges and currency challenges that need to be tackled. You know, food right. is, you know, can only be sold by a certain price and then if depending on the the the, the, econom the economy dynamic at a given time it becomes hard to export yeah so those no, are some I can of totally the things that, that we yeah and, and it's not like you're in a small market here there's plenty there's plenty to be done so 
Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. There's so much and we, you know, we're still relatively small. Um, and, and while we're like, it, it seems like we're big to us from where we came from. There's a lot of people that don't know about us. There's still a lot of consumers to, to be introduced to the brand yeah. in the U.S. Absolutely. There, there are so many listeners um, who have an idea for a startup, but they have a cushiony day job, which many of them don't love, yet they can't make that jump over to entrepreneurship. I can't blame them, but they just can't get themselves to take this, this big risk. What was it that enabled you to do it? One of the things that it just kind of pushed me, and it's such a hard, you know, it's such a hard thing to do. There were, there were times during the transition, we didn't jump from like A to B and it was a clean jump. We uh, started with two jobs. We started testing. We started to see our assumptions in the marketplace before I left my career and my husband and co-founder, the same thing. We also staggered our departure um, so we mm -hmm. could, you know, manage the bills at home and things like that. But I'll say one thing that, that I kept going back to that sort of drove to my core to be able to kind of get myself to do it was a thought process is that I kept thinking about my life in like in the future. And so I kept thinking, you know, that company that I worked for, a lot of people were there for 30 years, 40 years. And I kept putting myself in that position and going like, okay, this is a good job, well-paying, you know, career. I'll be able to like be comfortable, this and that. Then I kept picturing myself as some of the folks there in 20 years and 30 years. And then I kept picturing myself doing this crazy thing and trying and potentially failing and, but really seeking an opportunity that I thought was real, that deserved to be uh, pursued. And then the thing that kind of kept going in my brain was this, like, if I, in 20 years, what do I want to look back on? Do I want to look back and regret that I tried or that I didn't try? So if I failed, would I look back and regret that? And so, and so in my heart, I kept thinking that, you know, 20 years, if I look back, I would most likely look back and re with regret if I hadn't tried. And, and so that's sort of like, I know that's, that's more of a feeling. No, it's a philosophy. Of, yeah. Right? I mean, and, and I think, I think it, I think it happens to, to, to most entrepreneurs when they, when they take the jump that they just say, well, is this really what I want to do all my life? Or mm -hmm. do I want to take that risk? Because quite frankly, and, and I'm working with one, one such bootstrapped entrepreneur right now who quit his, you know, cushiony day job. And he's like, look, all my savings are in this. <laughs> you know, we have to create a brand around it. And if I, if I fail, I have nothing, but I always know I can get another job. Right. And I think I think that's I think that's the the attitude. Um, are you yeah. still? I mean, if if you think about it, it's like you have to have that mindset of like if I lose everything, you know, maybe in two or three years, and I spend all this time, will it still be worth it? My answer kept coming back to yes because I would have tried, you know, if I just stay right. and, and you know and look back and I just felt got comfortable. That's what life is about, you know, but you have to be ready to to accept both both outcomes. Right, right. And and doing it in a smart way where you have you have you have two lanes, right? You're still doing your day thing and then you you know, you start seeing successes with uh, with with the startup and you you know, it's it's also a financial calculation and um, I, I love I love the way that you've you've done it. Are you still working with your husband? I am. I am so <laughs> 
Can and I? he's he's also still your husband. <laughs> he is my husband. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to share that. Very good. We, yeah, it's you know we've been we started the company about nine years ago together um, as co-founders, and um, and he, he, we're both very actively involved. Over time, as the company grew, we separated our lanes quite a bit, and so. I'm on the marketing side and he's in the operations side. So we don't work as closely together as we used to in the early days of the company, but we, we work in the same office and, and it's great. We it's, love working in the same office and working together. Well, first, congratulations, um, because that's, that's double amazing. <laughs> right? it's, and, and I always think it's such a fascinating scenario because I had a few married co-founders um, on, on the show. And then I actually had one pair of twins, uh, twin sisters that worked together, which is really fun, too. But, but, you know, the question is that I ask myself, and I'm sure uh, some of my listeners ask themselves the same question. How do you leave work behind? I mean, do you have a regimen or does it come naturally or does it just happen and business and pleasure are you know intermingled at all times it's it's you don't you don't leave it behind yeah um i i there's it you know i would say it's it, it is intertwined it's it's just life you know business and the company is life i would say you know when we were growing the company the intensity was so high it greatly benefited us because we we were we it was just us and a dog we didn't have a kid at the time so it was just us babying this brand and this company and building it. So we would right. work 24 seven when we were, you know, work was done in the office or at the facility, we were still talking and strategizing and so passionate about things. So it's almost like we got double the time without even knowing and, and we're able to advance the company faster. Nowadays we, it's more, the business is more complex and we have a, a two year old that, wants a lot of attention and needs a lot of attention. So we were able to turn off and, and break a little bit more. But, you know, when we're building, when we're bootstrapping, when he was that sort of like, you don't know what's going to happen, you know, that up and down of the journey before you get your company stable, it was nonstop. Right. You know, I think at some point when you're a couple or like, you know, twins or have that dynamic, one person usually calls the shot and says like, you know what, I'm done for today. I can't talk about this anymore. You know, <laughs> yeah. Let's have dinner. Uh, usually in our relationship, Cameron, my husband, is the one who's like, you know, I'm done. Give me a break. I need an hour. I can just keep going. I would just like talk business 24-7. <laughs> I just get into it. But he's, been, he's helped me kind of balance things a little bit. Exactly. It's about the balance. That's that's so important. Um, let's talk about your product. So you, you, you're you selling cheesy bread in the natural food space. Now, that is pretty choosy. <laughs> Tell us how that came about and if that positioning is an actual benefit or sometimes a hurdle for a product like yours. Yeah. So let's talk about what the product is, right? So the company started to make Brazilian, to sell Brazilian cheese bread in the United States. So Brazilian cheese bread is the most popular snack food in South America. And in Brazil, it's really a staple. It's been around for hundreds of years. It is a commodity there. It happens to be made with tapioca flour, which is naturally gluten-free, right? So when we had the idea to bring the product to market, I will say branding is so critical here in our conversation because we were not the first ones who had the idea of bringing this product to the United States. Mm. It's a very well-known product. It's, it's, you know, it, it's not a product like I invented. Um, it, but but what, I, what we did, we said, okay, this product, when Americans go to Brazil, they fall in love with the cheese bread. They come back. And, it, and, you know, they experience the culture and the beaches and like all the amazing things that Brazil has to offer. 
But they, one of the favorite things that they talk about is the cheese bread. So that gave us a sort of, you know, one more sort of check that box. There's an opportunity here. Most of the cheese bread available in the U.S. at that time was only available in international markets. So you'd have to buy a dry mix and you have to mix all the ingredients at home. And there were cases of Brazilians and Americans going to Brazil and flying back with this frozen dough or this mix. I was like, okay, something is off. We got to bring this here. So the idea was, how can we bring the concept of Brazilian cheese bread to the U.S. market for Americans in a way that they understand and they, they can kind of like sort of understand what, the, what it is and how to consume it and that it's fun and it's delicious, right? Mm -hmm. And part of like who I am, like I was, you know, I, I love the natural food space. I care about the food that I eat. Um, I'm not a total health nut by any means, but you know, I, I, I eat kind of clean ingredients, no preservatives. Um, I care about, you know, where my food is coming from. Right. And so when I, we were creating the concept, we were like, it has to be delicious. It has to be simple. It has to be natural. Right. And so that was kind of a natural fit into the natural foods industry. It was more like about who we are as people and as founders and what, what kind of product we wanted to sell. Because if I just I was I wasn't going to be able to give my heart and soul to something if it was packed with preservatives, if it didn't taste amazing, you know. Right. No, totally. It makes it makes it would make sense. So that led us. Another thing is when, when you th think about like the natural foods industry, you know, Nine years ago when we started the company, and still today, when you look at all the CPG products that are coming in the marketplace in the United States, there's paths of entry into the industry. Conventional stores are opening up a little bit, but honestly, it was the only path to entry into the marketplace. You know, stores like Whole Foods, for example, and like local co-ops and, and regional grocers were the ones and still are the ones interested in what is unique and what's new what's innovative what is you know what's that husband and wife founder team coming up with it's it's, it's sort of the path to entry that's really really interesting because i never thought about it about it that way and that's a that's a great positioning that you actually have people that would listen in the beginning right and you went you went on the road for three years hustling right store to store event to event it was like a brassy bites road show um how grueling was that and what did you learn that you later added to your brand design or your brand language or what did you learn about your audience i mean it's like I don't know, like a thousand nine hundred, you know, a thousand ninety-five days of consumer research. It must have been invaluable to you. That is that is just sort of critical to everything of who we are today. So we, when we brought the product to the, you know, launch the brand and start knocking on doors, we we went through that motion of like a new product. You know, you're getting lots of no's. You're getting people not understanding. And so we knew we had something special because we knew the cheese bread resonated and it was delicious and it was hitting the mark, being naturally gluten-free. Oh, I just said the name of it. It was a pun. Show. It was a pun. <laughs> <laughs> we trained this. Amazing. We practiced. <laughs> Amazing. So we know it was hitting the mark when with smaller audience, but we also knew there was some challenges there. It's like, how do you break through to a larger audience? How do you get out from being just so small and grassroots? So, you know, spending, we, we ended up just doing the, the hard work, which is doing every single show that was available, consumer and retailer shows, you know, 
we ended up just being on the floor of grocery stores week after week after week, just tireless hours. We would just play, you know, came and go to store. I would go to another store and then we'd meet up and then four hours at another store. And so what that did is that it was all about listening and uh, absorbing how people are interacting with the brand. Were they getting the product? Were they getting the name? Were they getting the logo? Were they getting it, right? Yeah. And so during those times, like we started to gather like some of the most important intel that drove the growth of the company. When you're on the floor, it's just amazing what happens, right? It's like the feedback is so real and it's so on time. And because we were just running a fast growing company and it was just us making all the decisions, we could pivot very quickly. Right. And so, you know, changing the messaging, changing even the name of the product. At some point we called it cheese bread snacks. We didn't want to put the word Brazilian in there. But then we, we realized that there was a huge value that we're missing, missing out on and, and brought that back and, you know, tweaking the colors of the packaging. We, there was a time that people were right in front of the packaging in a grocery store and would call our office. I can't see. We're like, okay, there's a problem there. We got to fix <laughs> yeah. that. You know, and so all those things being fast, it was it was incredible, and it, it got us it got us to where to, we are today. I mean, I will say, as I mentioned to you, we we were not the first ones. We didn't invent this product, but we were absolutely the first one to break it into a larger audience and create a true category. And it was because of all of those learnings and those moves during the early days of the company. I absolutely had a feeling. And, you know, today you're so branded in, in, in very fun, loud, Latin-inspired colors and graphics. The design language looks like it caters to kids and, and, and families. So it's a very non-traditional look, again, for, for the natural food space in, in which you entered um, and we, in which you still are. How did, that, how did that packaging came about? I know you changed it a lot, but, but what story do you try to tell today through the name, through the logo, and, and through the packaging? You know, we, we definitely landed on a brand identity, exactly like you mentioned. You know, we started, we started looking at like all this stuff that we had learned on the road, and how can we represent that in our branding, in our look, the look of our packaging to give our best chance of success? So there were things like who we are, you know, we're fun, we're bold, we're delicious. We, we wanted a colorful packaging, but we also wanted to um, show that we were natural, that we had a family recipe that cared about ingredients that were wholesome and delicious. So, you know, all these things that we wanted to balance. When we were rebranding, you probably remember those days where every natural foods, you know, you walk into Whole Foods, everybody had that craft look. Yeah. And um, in the freezer section also, everything was white. And so we were looking to fix some of our challenges that we were seeing to give our best chance of success, but also to uh, break away, to differentiate from the competitors. We wanted people, you know, when you're a frozen foods company, think about this. You're walking in front of a freezer door. You already have that glass door. That's another obstacle for people to see you and finally discover you. So how can you pop, right? So that was one of our biggest challenges. And so we came up with this really bold color palette to differentiate ourselves. And there were so many you know, things to tackle at that time because it's like, how can you do a bold, colorful palette and still be a natural you know, food and, and natural foods company and represent all of your values? So there's a balance of design elements that go into it and a lot of thought and process, but um, we did a really good job and the brand really resonates. Now, nowadays, 
the bold palette is really out there. You know, we don't like to say we invented it, but we were one of the lead food companies at the time to bring the bold, colorful packaging to natural. And now it's pretty spread. Yeah, I know. I noticed the same thing. And, and for your brand, the great thing is you can you can own it because you earned it by just being a Brazilian brand, right? Like the idea that you actually embody, you know, the, the, the beaches and the parties and the carnivals and the fun, right, in, in your packaging. And I'm sure that has something to do with why you wanted it to be that Latin inspired, because it is it is your history versus versus other brands that just want to cater to kids and families. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing about kids and families, it was a natural transition. So this product in Brazil is consumed by all, right? So it's because it's a commodity, it doesn't have a sort of like a target audience. Right. And it, it also is enjoyed as like a sort of an appetizer, snack and appetizer. But Brazilian culture is, as, as you might know, it's, it's a very sort of ingrained into family gatherings and friends gathering. There's a lot more social gatherings than here in the U.S., Right. So sort of you literally can have a product that just caters to social gatherings and make it huge. Right. Yeah. The cheese bread there is that when we started to like sell it here and kind of listen and understand how people are interacting with the product. We saw that there was a little bit less of that just because culturally Americans are not gathering with the neighbors and friends and all that kind of stuff every single weekend. Um, but, you know, there were other things like we start hearing my kids love Brazi Bites. My kid is obsessed with Brazi. My kids <laughs> can make Brazi by themselves. My kid is 10 years old and he loves Brazi. So we started hearing that. And we're like, wait a minute. You know, we're not a kid food company, but kids definitely love our brand. So let's create a packaging and a brand identity that they can resonate with as yeah. well. And so parents can resonate, kids can resonate. So that's what, it, that's what kind of took us there. It was honestly sort of on the floor and hearing and we're like wait kids are loving this let's kind of focus on that more than this is a party item that pairs with alcohol and this and that and while it's right. great with beer and wine and such there's this whole opportunity on the family side and it's much bigger yeah and it doesn't it doesn't leave the other audience out of it because those are the parents and and they would still eat uh, the product and I guess that's also how you made it into Costco and I'm so intrigued by that. Tell us a little bit about the Costco stock tab on your site um, so you can check on availability of your product at local Costcos to me that's really fantastic and a, and a smart idea you know how you go about that. Um, are others doing similar things to get basically to get Costco to restock your products regularly, right? That that's kind of that's kind of part of the yeah. idea, right? Yeah. Um, so that's that's definitely been a, a, one of our trade secrets. So, Costco, <laughs> so let's talk about it now. Let's talk. Let's talk about <laughs> Just that. you let's, and I. <laughs> so we we have a lot of business with Costco. Costco is a great partner and a, and a supporter of our brand. And it makes total sense, right? We make a delicious product that's cheesy and it can be packaged in bulk. And Costco does a lot of frozen business, right? Yeah. People go there to find frozen items to stock up for families. So it's no wonder that the brand really resonated and was successful within Costco. But there's some different dynamics, unlike a, a similar retail, a, a regular retail space like Whole Foods, Kroger and Walmart and Target. When you get your shelf space, you pretty much guarantee that space for about a year. If your product does well, you just keep going, right? There isn't as much of a threat. 
Costco operates more on like they like in ins and outs, they call it, which is they're going to bring something for eight weeks, 12 weeks, and then they're going to be out of it and then bring it back six months later and so forth. And, and then in addition to that, the, the Costco breaks the country into regions. So each region pocket of the country have to sell to a, a new buyer and you know, tell your story again. So it's, it's, it becomes very complex and the member might not know, you know, you're in LA, you go to your Costco and I'm promoting Costco, you expect the product to be there. You may not because that regional buyer doesn't, you know, didn't bring in the product and so forth. We realize after a while, like the, our fans and Costco members really love Brazi brand and wanted to buy the product, but they were being impacted by this ins and outs and they were frustration, right? In, from them. So the, the, the consumers would call our office and say, you know, let's say we post something on Instagram and say we're at Costco in, in LA or we're at Costco in Seattle. And then somebody in San Francisco who doesn't have the item goes like, how dare you not be at my Costco? And so yeah. they were, <laughs> They were sort of like putting all of this energy on us, almost like it was our fault. Like, why don't you want to be in my hometown? Yeah. And so we sort of wanted to shift that dynamic. We said, look, we are with you. We understand you. We listen to you. And we're working so hard to get there. But there's different dynamics that we're dealing with. Let's shift your energy and redirect it to Costco. That's so, <laughs> so good. We Right. So we created that website to sort of like give the, our, our fans a tool to help us be on shelf where they want us to be on shelf. So that has helped us. It's been one of the tools that we've used with Costco. But look, at the end of the day, you can do all the marketing tactics that you want, but the product has to resonate. It has to sell on shelf. You know, I think that tactic only works because the product doesn't resonate. And oh, for sells. sure. Yeah. And you're just, you know, trying to sort of move some things around. And, and, and empower. It, but know, it's fantastic because, because you're really empowering your fans to do the work for you, which that's what the best brands do today. The, you know, when, when you actually have people that want to have your product on the shelves and they have to do the legwork because you can only do that much. And it's, it's really great. Let's, let's talk more about opportunities. I have to bring this up, right? Let's talk about Shark Tank for a minute. You guys absolutely rocked it and got bombarded with offers whose offer did you accept i didn't research that much whose offer did you accept why and how did it treat your company so the show was incredible being a part of it um i'm sure several of your listeners are you know are familiar with the show and watch the show but um you know the viewership is incredible and we went on the show because we were raising money at the time we were looking for an investor and also we wanted the exposure we of had course. been in business about four years and we were out there, you know, we, we had, it was kind of that time that we were doing the, the groundwork. We're in about a thousand stores. We had been, we were already at Whole Foods and some Kroger's and so forth, but you know, we really needed that sort of bump in exposure. And, and the show did just that. I mean, the sharks taste the product, just fell in love with it. Couldn't believe how delicious it was. Couldn't believe that it was gluten-free. They were just, you know, really love everything that we had built. And the consumers watched that and really want, you know, were intrigued and wanted to um, try the products. And so at the show, we got three offers we got, which is amazing, right? Yeah. When you're at the show, when you get that many offers, it just, it, it makes for a more fun episode. The viewers are, you know, more intrigued and it's just a better dynamic. So we had an offer from Mr. Wonderful. Um, we had an offer from Lori. And we had an offer from Damon. Hmm. 
So three sharks and they were, you know, there was a point in our, in our episode that they were fighting over it and it was really cool. And different percentages, right? What's the cut that they're going to take? And they went down on cuts, right? To, to, to get, to get you to, to, to be, to be their choice. Right. Totally. And, you know, being on the show and when that shift happens, it's almost like a shift of energy of, of the, <laughs> you know, you're trying to sell, 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 and you're like, you know, really grasping. And, and then like, you're buying, buying, buying. <laughs> and then suddenly they start fighting for you. That's just like, wow. It's like, okay, cool. You know, this is, this is going to be good. And so at the end of the show, we ended up um, shaking hands with Lori, who is, you know, really famous on QVC and yeah. she's done a lot of consumer products. Yeah. We, um, over time, as we were working through the kinks of the deal behind the scenes, we decided to not do the deal which is not unusual for the show. Interesting. Um, that happens a lot. You know, you get the negotiations involved and you, you really get to know one another. But we really enjoy getting to know her and her team, but ultimately didn't do a deal. Very interesting. And, you know, I had a gentleman on, on the show who completely bombed on Shark Tank. Like, he bombed. Like, they basically laughed him out of the show. And his <clears throat> product was moving like crazy the weeks and months afterwards, right? So it's, it's, it's the exposure that is worth so much. But obviously, the production team knows that, that people just go there for the exposure. So it's, um, you, guys, you guys played it so well. It's, it's, it's amazing. Um, I know our time is slowly coming to an end. I'm, I'm obsessed with one thing, and I want to make sure... Um, I ask you that. Uh, I'm, I'm obsessed with defining what I call the brand DNA um, for and with my clients. And on this show, I let the founders I interview give it some thought for their own brand. Um, everyone gets so sucked into the product-centric day-to-day that I feel it not only gives us an insight into your brand, but it may also help you with your continued marketing and branding to surface that one special word. Your brand in one word. So for Sappos, it could be happy for Evelyn, it would be transparency. What is that one word that can describe your brand today? The one word that describes Brazi Bites today, I would say it's fun. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. All encompassing, right? And talking about the All target audiences again and its little bites and, and, and it just provides that... Uh, Provides that piece of fun that's so easy to do too, which which is great because you literally just put it into the into an oven like a pizza. So that's that's really neat. Absolutely, it's all encompasses of who we are, what we're about, and uh, <clears throat> the audience and the experience of the product and and how we run the company and how we connect with our consumers. Fun is the word today. And you know what's overly bizarre is that of all the founders I had on the show, and by now I think it's been about twenty four, twenty five. This is the first time that fun becomes the brand DNA, which, which is amazing, right? Because it seems like a lot of brands should be fun. Um, do, you have, do you have any piece of brand advice for founders as a takeaway? You know, we talked so much about, about your brand, about your journey. There, there were so many, you know, nuggets that we got out of it. But is there anything that, you know, for, for fresh founders that are just getting started, any thoughts that you, you want to share? I think one of the, the, the things that, that was most successful for Brazi Bites was that piece of like, you create your brand, you put all of your ideas into the branding, and then you got to start, you put it out in front of people as fast as you possibly can and start, you know, adjusting and improving and this and that, you know, that would be my main advice, like get in front of people, put it out there, um, and, 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 and then see what happens, you know? Mm-hmm. 
that that is where the ticket is because if we are just like sit back in our office and we just make all of our assumptions stare at a computer all day we're not going to make the right choices for our company so where are you meeting the consumer it's you know at a retail store or an event or you know something maybe even in the digital world you can do that today but what kind of feedback are you getting what kind of questions are you getting that's you know it's going to lead you to build the right brand Absolutely. Yeah, I hear that over and over and over again, that customer research, however you do it, is, is so key. And that's why so many young brands, um, they pivot very quickly because, because they don't even pivot with the product. They just pivot with how they talk to the customer and how their packaging looks and, and how, the, how, the brand, how the brand works and what it stands for. Um, where can listeners get their Brassy Bites? So we're thousands of stores nationwide in the freezer section. Um, we make, you know, nowadays we make Brazilian cheese bread in multiple flavors, and we also have a brand new line of mini empanadas. They're amazing. Um, both product lines are available throughout the country. So to find us, just visit brazibites.com. There is a locator there. It just will tell you exactly the store near you with exact assortment. And you can find us um, at a store near you. There you have it. From Brazil to civic engineer in Portland to selling products in 8,000 stores. I so enjoyed my conversation with Junior and I hope you did the same. Thank you for listening, for subscribing and for rating the show. And thanks to all the podcast supporters who became monthly members on patreon.com slash hitting the mark. It's awesome to see what positive impact our group calls have on everyone's business. And I'd love to see you join us too. So I can make this podcast 100% community enabled. Just head on over to patreon.com and look for Hitting the Mark to learn more about this initiative that powers this show. The Hitting the Mark theme music was written and produced by Happiness One. I will see you next time when we once again will be hitting the mark. <laughs>